This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. So his own people hand him over to be destroyed. We don't want you to be judged. We don't want you to be our king. And so because they try to avoid Samson's salvation, they actually bring it about. Their destruction, his destruction, brings about their salvation. Sound familiar? Stay with me now. It's one of those hard sermons, but if you do your homework, man, it's fun at the end. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Welcome to Today with Jeff Fines. My name's Aaron. Today we finish a message from the book of Judges chapter 15. As we explore these verses, we'll see that Samson's deconstruction brings about the Israelites' salvation. In this series called Origins, Pastor Jeff is looking at ordinary people in the Bible who faced great adversity but found hope in God's promises. You can hear the entire series on your podcast app. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines. But for now, let's hear from Pastor Jeff as he completes this message. What does Samson do? Here's what Samson does. God sends Samson in. He's the deliverer. He's the judge, not just Judy, the deliverer to save the people of Israel and the messianic line for salvation to come through the line of the house of David. And what does Samson do? He marries a Philistine. He tells a riddle at his wedding because he hates the Philistines. He wants to mock them. He bets them they can't solve it. They cheat and trick Samson and beat him at his own game. He retaliates, gets mad, and kills a bunch of them. His Philistine father-in-law then will not allow Samson to see his own wife. In retaliation, Samson burns the fields, all the fields. In response, they kill his wife, and then Samson kills hundreds of them. And that's where we are in Judges 15. And Samson is just doing to them what they've done to him. And verse 20 of chapter 15 is crucial to the entire text. It says that Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. In other words, in spite of his moral weakness, in spite of his lack of spiritual vision, God used Samson to lead and deliver Israel. Now we're getting somewhere. Judges in Israel were not people who held official offices or positions. They were not judiciary. Judges were yashar, deliverers, military leaders that God used to save Israel when it was on the brink of destruction to keep his promise to Abraham. And in spite, here we are in spite of all of Samson's stupidity, in spite of his ego, his wrong motives, his vindictiveness, immaturity, God uses him to save his people. Now, archetypes, origins, how, here we go now, how did God use Samson? Samson's own people turned him over. They betrayed him to the enemy after all he had done for them. But through the rejection, in other words, rejection as the means, he brings deliverance. You with me? Does that sound familiar? Samson lets them tie him up, bind him. He could have called on his power to prevent his capture because Israel didn't want him to be their judge. They didn't want to get away from their captives or captors. So Samson allows the enemy to bind him. And Samson may be immoral, but he's no military fool. Verse 12, they said to him, we've come to tie you up, hand you over. Samson said, swear to me, you won't kill me yourself. Agreed, we'll only tie you up, hand you over. We won't kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and led him up from the rock. 
So here's what Samson's thinking. Trojan horse. If I let them tie me up, more and more Philistines will incautiously surround me, thinking they're safe. And that's the way I will destroy the enemy. So his own people hand him over to be destroyed. We don't want you to be judged. We don't want you to be our king. And so because they try to avoid Samson's salvation, they actually bring it about. Their destruction, his destruction, brings about their salvation. Sound familiar? Stay with me now. It's one of those hard sermons, but if you do your homework, man, it's fun at the end. Judges 15, 14, as he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. And as he's about to die, Samson, an enormous power comes over him. He's dying of thirst. He's slaying the enemy. He slays the enemy with the jawbone of an ass, and then after he slays the enemy, through his own binding and loosing by the power of God, verse 18, because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, you've given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? It's amazing to me how, how God tolerates sarcasm. It really is. You hear what Samson's doing? I mean, I just, I just did this great work. You're going to let me die of, of, of a thirst? And so the Bible says that Samson thinks he's dying because of his thirst, and then God provides this miracle. Verse 19, God opened up the hollow place in Lehi and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned and he revived. So God brings him back from the precipice of death. Now, do you see the archetype again? Jesus is rejected and betrayed by his own. He is turned over to his enemies by his own people. Jesus is dying of thirst on the cross before he breathes his last breath, but the Father brings him back from death. I am hoping and praying that you're starting to see that the gospel started in Genesis 3. And you see it again and again and again because it's the story, not hero worship, but lives that are pointing to the ultimate hero, champions that are pointing to the ultimate champion. Jesus came with salvation and deliverance for his people, for us. But they said, you will not be our ruler, you will not be our king. And we still do that to him today. I did a funeral this morning at 10 o'clock right here. And I was reminded again that there are many people, no matter what happens to them in their lives, their eyes will never be opened because they're not open to a champion. They don't think they need a savior. And if you don't think you need a savior, you're not going to look for one. And when one tells you that they are your savior, it's going to offend you because you don't think you need saving. You don't want to be freed from your captors. They turned him over to the enemy to destroy him. And he didn't save them in spite of their efforts, but through their efforts to destroy him. And when Jesus was on the cross, folks, he was a warrior. A warrior says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. A weak person says, hey, do to them what they did to me. But not Jesus. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're blinded, ignorant, deceived. Now, do you realize 50 days later, the same people who were urging the Romans to kill him were now being baptized in spirit and in water by the thousands in the same city because of the way Jesus responded to his captors. He was also handed over, also rejected. And yet look at how he responded. And because of the way he responded, they came in droves to be delivered. But not only does the story tell us that Samson or the story of Samson tells us that God delivers through the rejection of the deliverer. But the story of Samson tells us that God is able to save through one champion. Oh, now, come on now. 
Come on with me. The book of Judges has been taken us somewhere. In the beginning, many are willing to fight for their deliverance. By the time we get to Gideon, only 300 are willing to fight. And by the time we get to Samson, only one. What's the message of Judges in the Bible? God can save and deliver and redeem through just one. So that the military victory of Samson accrues to all the people. Okay, what's a champion? Come on now, this is where it gets good. What's a champion? David and Goliath, what did they do? No need for all this bloodshed. You send out your best warrior, we'll send out ours. And the winners, the losers serve. If you win, everybody wins. If he loses, everybody loses. That's what a champion is in the Old Testament. And the message of Samson is that God only needs one. A champion can save a nation of fools and losers and cowards and those who are unable to see how they are losing their true identity. A champion's victory becomes the victory of the people. But this is where Samson's life, like Joseph, like Israel, like Jacob, like Isaac, like Abraham, is limiting. They are pointers, but not the perfect origin or archetype. And this is where Jesus is the ultimate champion. Because when he comes, and this is amazing, and if this this doesn't cause you to dance at some point in your life, I'm sorry, but you're just spiritually dead. Because when Jesus comes as your champion, he fights two battles for you. And no one else fights these battles. Number one, and I've heard every time I think of this, I I think of Rory. Since Rory became one of the pastors here, I think he said this line a thousand times. First battle he fights for you is he lives the life that you should have lived. Now, this is amazing. He lives the life that you should have lived and then credits it to your account as if you lived it. You can't make this stuff up. What kind of God does this? So the Bible tells us that when Jesus was tempted, he was tempted in every way, and yet he did not sin, which I find incredible because when you give in to temptation, in one sense, it subsides before it returns. But if you don't give in to temptation, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger, and that's the life Jesus lived. And he fought that battle and won, and then accrues it over to your account. And when you understand that, I'm sorry, when it really dawns on you, you're going to dance. You're going to dance. Second... The second battle, the champion, your champion, who stands in your place, he died the death that you should have died. He wasn't merely bound with cords of rope. He was bound with the bands of sin and death. And he broke the chains as our champion. And because he defeated sin and death, so shall we. When you understand that, you're going to dance. Everything's going to change. Revival's going to come into your life. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So you and I are treated as though, here's how God sees us, God sees us as though we lived Christ's life. And he treats you as if you also died Christ's death. So you've hit it from both sides. He is the greatest champion of all. And all champions point to the ultimate champion. But let me tell you how that then applies to the way that you and I respond in a culture that's trying to rob us of our identity. Here's how we win. 
I see this again and again and again. And every time the church gets this wrong, it sets Christianity back a decade, if not a century. The heroes and saviors of the Old Testament always fill the earth with bodies. With the jawbone of an ass, I've made them asses. I've heaped up their bodies. Now in Psalm 110, this is David writing a psalm. Listen to what he says. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way and so he will lift his head high. Who's this psalm about? Samson. Samson. Yet it's also messianic. So by the time Paul writes the book of Ephesians in chapter one, verse 22, he says, and God placed, talking about Jesus, all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So the old, the old saviors fill the earth with bodies of their enemies. Jesus fills the whole earth with his body, the church. And you and I fight with the sword of grace and truth. You and I are the slain of the Lord. Jesus is destroying his enemy in the most successful way. He is turning his enemies into his eternal friends. That's the new way to fight. Christianity is not saying, be like Samson, be like David. And if that's how you think, if that's how you think that we're supposed to be like Samson and David, here's what you'll say. I'm right, they're wrong, we must destroy them. We must fill the earth with their bodies. We must get them out of power. But Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. Jesus said, my kingdom is not like that. I have come in the strength of weakness to slay the enemy through mercy and grace. And every time the church gets it wrong, historically, it sets the kingdom work back decades. On the cross, the ultimate champion shows us that there is a new way, a new power, a new way to fight and destroy the enemies of God. Jesus doesn't say, Father, wipe them out, heap up their bodies. Jesus says, forgive them. In their ignorance, in their blindness to the reality of their real enemy, in their hopelessness, in their foolishness and cowardice, forgive them. Not only that, but when they kill me, let that be their salvation. And because of Christ's sacrifice, the Father could. He could save his enemies by the thousands. And when they delivered him over to be crucified just 50 days later, thousands became his eternal friends and were baptized into his family. You see... The Bible does not give us hero worship to emulate. And it doesn't give us hero deconstructionism. Instead, it gives us hero vision. And when you look at Christ, when you look at Christ through the archetypes and origins and see how's the ultimate champion, this is the end now. Here's what's supposed to happen to you. You've done the hard work. Here it is. First of all, you're supposed to be humbled. If you say, Lord, use me because I'm doing my duty, you've not seen the gospel. You with me? If you say, Lord, use me because I'm, I'm good. I'm doing my duty. But the whole point of Samson is that God uses flawed people. 
If you say, God, use me because I'm good, that's hero worship. But if you say, God, use me, even though I have no intention whatsoever of obeying and following your word, that's hero deconstructionism. But if you admit your lack of virtue without saying who cares about virtue or without saying I am virtuous and instead clinging to the one who is virtuous, then God begins a work in your life in spite of your failures that changes the world. Because he loves you as if you had done the battles of Jesus Christ, lived his life, died his death. Sometimes someone will come up to me after a message and they will say, Pastor Jeff, your words changed my life. And I'm grateful for that I am. But here's how I think in my older age. Yeah, God delivered you through the jawbone of an ass. The Spirit used the jawbone of an ass to make you into an eternal friend. The second thing, after you're humbled, then you'll rest in what Jesus has done for you. Because only people who understand how they are loved and accepted because of the work of Christ will love and accept others because of the work of Christ, even their enemy, and will pray for their enemy rather than leave the world in their wake. You must rest in the reality that Jesus is your champion because only then is joy going to become central to your life and sorrow only peripheral. So you'll be humbled, you'll rest, you'll be at peace, And then finally, if you admit your weakness and rest in his provision, you're going to fight this battle in a new way of the spirit. Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome. It's a military term by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand something here. Let's go back to this, the men, the man's move. There's a man's movement, men's movement happening in our church. I came out here on stage and I thought, man, this is fantastic. And I'm really proud of them. I'm really glad. There is a part of men though, all of us. There's a part of us, we're men. Let's go shoot something. Okay, that's, that's a great, look, we're, uh, take it easy on us. We're men. We want to, yeah, that's who we are. And we should never apologize for that. That strength is good. In fact, let me tell you something. Jesus spoke the truth. He was not a coward. He spoke it so often it got him killed. Okay, don't apologize for that. But then he forgave the people who crucified him. See, this is the point. If you stop halfway, you're going to ruin it. You speak the truth in love. And when they disagree with you, when they won't listen to you, when the whole world looks like it's going to hell in a handbag, as my grandpa used to say, guess what you do? You forgive and you love. You forgive and you love. You speak the truth boldly and courageously and you take whatever comes and you forgive. And if you never see what Jesus did for you, you're never gonna fight for him. You'll either be a coward or you'll go around filling the earth with bodies left in your wake. And the reason I loved, I could not wait to talk about Samson was so that you and I would realize God uses weak, flawed people. Oh my goodness, thank God. And the gospel is good news because God accrues to my account Jesus' life that was lived, the death that he died. So when God sees me, he sees me as a saint, as a righteous man. I love it. However, Samson gives us a warning. And here's how I want to end. Samson was a Nazarite. 
He had taken the Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow means when I take, if you took the Nazarite vow, you are saying, I am God's man, fully committed to him. And if you're fully committed to God, you take the Nazarite vow, three things you don't do. You don't touch dead bodies, you don't drink any alcohol, and you don't cut your hair. Well, Samson's touching dead bodies all the time. Samson was drinking wine, all, he drank like a fish. What gives? And then he falls in love with Delilah. And what does she do? What's the secret to your strength? Well, if you tie me up in green ropes, that'll do it. Doesn't work. Well, if you tie me up in brown ropes, and then she's getting frustrated with him. What if you tie me up in black ropes? And then finally, the Bible tells us that Samson told her. Stupid on Samson's part. Yes, but not militarily. If you look carefully, Samson did not believe he was telling her the secret to his strength. He was still appeasing or mollifying her. Because in his mind, if you're a Nazarite and you take the Nazarite vow, the only way you break it is if you cut your own hair. He's militarily thinking they're going to come and get him and he's still going to have his strength. In fact, the Bible clearly says in Judges 16.20, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Here's the message. Even though we are imperfect, if you willingly keep on sinning, there is a point. There is a point in which God will leave you. You say, wait a minute. See, the reason you struggle with that is you're still thinking in terms of salvation. Your salvation may be secure. You may make it to heaven, but your life can still be a living hell. There's a point at which if you continue to disobey God, the impacts of life without God are the same for believer and unbeliever. Depression, anxiety, fear, frustration. Samson has his eyes gouged out, and he's put into a dungeon. As he's there, his hair grows back because his repentance grows. He's been humbled. And because he's never been this week before, more and more Philistines gather around him. Does that remind you of anybody? When was Jesus at his most weakness? And yet, what was he doing? Destroying the enemy. More and more people gathered around Samson. Look at him. He doesn't have any eyes. He can't see. He's tied up. He's bound. And as a result, Samson says, God, just one more time, give me my strength to destroy. Give me strength, your strength, rather, to destroy my enemies. And he pushes the columns and the weaker Samson got, the stronger he became until he destroyed the Philistines. Different kind of sermon, I know. It's really a setup for next week in a, in a real way. But can I leave you with two things? One, repent before you forfeit your life. Stop it. Repent before you forfeit your life. This thing in your life? Yeah, Jesus died your death. Yes, Jesus lived your life. It's been accrued to your account. I got that. Repent. You may get into heaven, but your life will be a living hell. And second, humble yourself before the great champion. If you've never done that, the champion to which every other champion points, he lived your life, he died your death, receive the champion and defeat death, the ultimate enemy once and for all. Because make no mistake, we all need a champion and you have one in Jesus and all who call on his name will be saved. Father, thank you for the story of Samson, a very difficult story.
with so many applications, and I pray that anything I said that is not consistent with your word or your will, that it would be cast by the wayside, be trampled under feet of men, be long forgotten. Anything I've said that represents your word well, I pray that it would penetrate deep into the heart and life transformation would happen in this place right now, right here, as those who have never received Christ as their ultimate champion would do so. And there would be transformation and the defeat of sin and death and eternity would come into their lives and their joy would be central in Christ's name. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Finds. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Finds wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.